MSW Media. Thanks to Osea for supporting Daily Beans. Osea has been making clean and ultra-effective skincare and body care products for over 25 years. They use seaweed as their product's star ingredient. They're vegan and climate-neutral certified. Get 10% off your first order with promo code DAILYBEANS at OseaMalibu.com. Hey, I'm Ben Micellis. I'm Brett Micellis. And I'm Jordy. And we are the hosts of the Midas Touch podcast, the top-rated, top-watched political podcast for pro-democracy content. Each week, we do multiple episodes where we break down the political issues of the day here in the United States and abroad as we fight for democracy. Isn't that right, Brett? That's right, Ben. We've had conversations with some incredible guests like White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, Beto O'Rourke, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison, Glenn Kirshner, Mary Trump, celebrities like Deborah Messing, Alyssa Milano, Michael Rappaport, and more. So subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast wherever you get your podcast. That's the Midas Touch, M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H podcast. Jordy, anything to add? Shout out to the Midas Mighty! Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. Huge news day. Today, the Department of Justice has asked the January 6th committee for transcripts of their depositions. Tom Barrick is hit with superseding indictments. Former RNC finance chair Steve Wynn has been sued to compel him to register as a foreign agent for China to Donald Trump. The 1-6 committee is unlikely to call Donald Trump to testify. Matt Gates went ballistic on FBI agents in his home 15 minutes before he went on Tucker Carlson's show to deny child sex trafficking allegations. And a senior Trump official at the State Department met with election denial activists on January 6th. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. We almost had a record for the longest intro. <laughs> I was going to say, goodness, don't even ask how I am. Let's just get into this because we've got a lot to cover. <laughs> Yeah, it's a hell of a news day for justice. Uh, Some quick notes. Tom Barrick has been superseded today for accepting $374 million from the United Arab Emirates Sovereign Wealth Fund in exchange for pushing policy to Trump. And former finance chair of the RNC, who had to resign for sexual misconduct, casino mogul Steve Wynn has been sued by the Justice Department to compel him to register as a foreign agent for China to Donald Trump. I'm going to go over these stories in detail on Mueller, she wrote this Sunday. So tune in for that. And later in the show, I'm going to be speaking with Ellie Mastal about his piece in The Nation about three test cases progressives can file in response to overturning Roe v. Wade. Ellie had reached out to me, including a test case over violations of the Eighth Amendment after uh, reading my thread on Twitter about military sexual trauma and subsequent abortion. You do not want to miss this interview, which is coming up in just a bit. So with all that, Oh my God, so much news. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. From Glenn Thrush and Luke Broadwater at the New York Times, the Justice Department has asked the House Committee investigating January 6th for transcripts of interviews it is conducting, which have included discussions with associates of former President Donald Trump. And that's according to people with knowledge of the situation. The move, coming as Attorney General Merrick Garland, appears to be ramping up the pace of his painstaking investigation into the Capitol riot (laughs) is the clearest sign yet of a wide-ranging inquiry at the Justice Department. I don't know how many signs you need of wide-ranging inquiry at the Justice Department, but here we are. 
The House committee has interviewed more than a thousand people so far, and the transcripts could be used as evidence in potential criminal cases to pursue new leads or as a baseline text for new interviews conducted by federal law enforcement officials. This is big news. Aides to Representative Benny Thompson, who is the chair of the committee, have yet to reach a final agreement with the Justice Department on what will be turned over, according to a person with knowledge of the matter. However, Benny Thompson has said, we aren't going to hand anything over to the to the Justice Department right now. We're still investigating and are, we're still doing our, you know, working on our work product here. I immediately got very angry <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. I said, what the fuck, Benny? Why are you not just handing everything? But then some folks pointed out to me, hey, this could be to keep that wall of separation up between the department and the committee to avoid politicization of any criminal investigations sure. at the Justice Department. And then, you know, I started to think, what if the shoe were on the other foot? What if we had a Republican attorney general like Bill Barr, who was demanding documents from a Democratic House of Representatives? I would want a subpoena, too. So I have cooled my tits. Just, uh, so <laughs> That's such knows. a good saying. Now, again, this is huge news as it appears that the Justice Department has done everything it can quietly and now is at the point in their massive investigation into leaders of the coup where they can no longer operate silently. That means things are going to start happening at a faster clip, which should please a lot of people frustrated by the seemingly slow pace of the probe based on the silence at the Justice Department. On April 20th, so this was like a month ago, Kenneth Polite, that's such a good name, the Assistant Attorney General for the Criminal Division, and Matt Graves, the U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, wrote to Timothy Heafy, the lead investigator for the House panel, advising him that some of the committee interviews, quote, may contain information relevant to a criminal investigation we are conducting. What's that? <laughs> yes. And some people got upset with the may language, may contain information. But here's why the Justice Department said that, because if they said it does contain information, that would be admitting that there's an ongoing investigation, which is against DOJ policy. So that's why they said may. It does. They do. Now, Mr. Polite, Mr. Graves did not indicate the number of transcripts they were requesting or the names or whether any interviews were of particular interest. In their letter, they made a broad request asking the panel provide to us transcripts of these interviews and of any additional interviews you conduct in the future. I've been concerned about Iran-Contra-like problems since the beginning of the investigation, and this news kind of assuages those fears. Good. The Times reminds us that several months ago, the department quietly detailed a veteran federal prosecutor from Maryland, Thomas Wyndham, who I talked about, to the department's headquarters. He is overseeing the politically fraught question of whether a case can be made related to other efforts to overturn the election aside from the storming of the Capitol. That task could move the investigation closer to Trump and his inner circle. It already has, according to subpoenas that the New York Times viewed. I don't know why they are saying that. And it goes on to say the Justice Department's request for transcripts underscores how much ground the House committee has covered and the unusual nature of a situation where a well-staffed congressional investigation has obtained testimony from key witnesses before a grand jury investigation. At least 16 Trump allies have signaled they will not fully cooperate with the committee. Faced with such resistance, investigators on the panel have taken a page out of organized crime prosecutions and have quietly turned at least six lower level Trump administration staff members into witnesses who have provided information about their boss's activities. At least they're starting to play hardball. I like it. And AG, speaking of recalcitrant witnesses, Rep. Benny Thompson, as we spoke earlier, he said that the one six select committee is unlikely to call former President Donald Trump as a witness, contending that Trump's testimony was not necessary to advance the committee's mounting evidence of the former president's effort to subvert the 2020 election. We got enough. We don't need him up here and we don't want to give him the time of day. 
and this is a quote, we're not sure that the evidence that we receive can be any more validated with his presence. <laughs> we, we, we know this shit's true and uh, we don't need him to say that it is. And he's probably not going to. Thompson, that's what he told reporters Tuesday. He, he continued to say, I think the concern is whether or not he would add any more value with his testimony. He won't. Thompson said discussions with former Vice President Mike Pence were ongoing, though he has previously suggested Pence's testimony may not be necessary in light of high-level cooperation from his top advisors. Now, Pence could serve a unique role in the panel, as he could function as both a witness to attempts to overturn the election as well as a victim, since he was targeted by Trump supporters who attacked the Capitol to prevent Congress from certifying Joe Biden's election. The committee's 10-month investigation has produced reams of evidence described a complex and uh, multifaceted plan by the former guy to prevent the transfer power to Biden, from seeking to unravel his defeat in court to increasingly desperate maneuvers to get state legislatures to overturn the results after his legal challenges all failed, all of them. <laughs> and there were a lot of them. Eventually, the former president homed in on the January 6, 2021 session of Congress, when lawmakers were required by the Constitution to count electoral votes and finalize the 2020 presidential election. Now get this, in a related story during a pretrial hearing for the Oath Keepers today, the defense actually argued that the seditious conspiracy charge he dropped because you can only seditiously conspire against the executive branch and not the legislative branch. They also claimed the indictment lacked specificity as to which parts of the conspiracy interfered with the execution of which laws. Now, the government argued they've alleged that the Oath Keepers conspired to interfere with the government's execution of the transition of presidential power through force. And they don't need to identify specific government actors the defendants interfered with to further that conspiracy. So <laughs> right now, there's no rulings in that hearing. Yes. It's an interesting argument. Yeah. They wanted that to be dropped, and the judge was like, mm, this is Judge uh, Amit Mehta. So he was like, mm, no, nah. bro. Yeah. He didn't make any rulings, but, he, you know, it was clear where that's going. And 15 minutes before Matt Gates, Milkshake Matt, was due to go on Tuckum's Fox News show on March 30th, 2021. God, it's been over a year. Hours after a bombshell report that he was under investigation for allegedly sex trafficking a minor, Gates was shouting repeatedly at FBI agents in his house. <laughs> do you have a warrant to be here? He yelled, according to an FBI report <laughs> obtained by the Daily Beast. But as adversarial as Gates was in those moments, the agents weren't there. They weren't after him. They weren't there for that. They were actually there to help him and his father, who had been cooperating with the FBI for several days in a sting operation that Gates claimed on live TV minutes later would clear his name. So they came Whoopsie. in. <laughs> so they came in to help him out. He's like, "Do you have a warrant to be?" That's something totally innocent people. Absolutely. Do. And of course, all that did was prove that his dad was willing. That whole investigation, all it did was prove that his daddy was willing to spend five million dollars on a pardon for his very innocent son. Now, this scene and others are detailed in previously unreported documents that shed new light on the sting operation which Gates helped orchestrate in the frenzied days before the New York Times published an explosive report that changed the panhandle congressman's public and political life. The documents in possession of federal prosecutors and obtained by the Daily Beast confirm parts of the story, international intrigue and attempted fraud, that Gates described to Carlson minutes after the agents left his home. But the records also contradict fundamental claims in Gates's version of events, raising new questions about Gates's own role in the sting, as well as when and why he began to cooperate with the feds. 
one document contains a key but so far elusive detail about the origins of the ongoing federal sex trafficking investigation into Gates when exactly it began. That's the key. When Gates first recounted the story to Carlson, it was for an unprepared public still processing the news of sex trafficking probes, a head-spinning chain of events. According to Matt, two men approached his father, Don, the wealthy former president of the Florida Senate and political power broker, with a bizarre quid pro quo. If Don would give them $25 million, they could make the investigation into Maddie Matt go away. Interesting. The stated motivation for the $25 million payment was even more bizarre. The men said they wanted to use the money to rescue Bob Levinson, an American taken hostage in Iran and long presumed dead. Quote, our family was so troubled by that, we went to the FBI, Gates told Carlson. But FBI records dispute that (laughs) sequence of events. Really shocking. Mm. According to the documents, the FBI learned of the Levinson plot independently through layers of intermediaries. Agents only spoke to Matt Gates after reaching out to him through one of those intermediaries. <laughs> so Gates didn't call the FBI. The FBI called him. Gates also mangled the story in other ways, telling Carlson without evidence that this was all a deep state plot. He claimed the allegations in the Times report somehow sprang from this same thing. But that logic doesn't hold. The Gates probe was already several months old. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. The FBI investigation into the Levinson plot had just started days earlier. When uh, the Fox News segment was over, a baffled Carlson called it one of the weirdest interviews I've ever conducted. I remember that. Eventually, however, Gates achieved some degree of vindication when one of the men at the center of the hostage plan, convicted felon Stephen Alford, admitted last November to wire fraud in connection with that plot. Still, the records contradict Gates's more than they confirm his sequence of events. Okay. According to the documents, Gates had his first conversation with the FBI on March 19th, where he told agents that he and his father had already met the two men, Alfred and another associate, just the day before to discuss their offer in person. It wasn't, as Gates had claimed, that his family contacted the FBI to discuss an extortion scheme. According to that FBI special agent's field report, the agent learned of the plot earlier that day when a retired agent from Jacksonville tipped her off. The active Agent followed that lead to another former FBI agent, this one based in Miami, who told her about the Levinson plan. The men making the offer, this Miami agent said, had claimed to have information on Congressman Gates. (laughs) The report also clarifies that the Miami agent's tip did not come from Gates. (laughs) When FBI finally got in touch with Matt Gates over the phone, he claimed that on the previous day, his father had two in-person meetings with the men to discuss their plan. Alfred was brought in for the second meeting, Matt Gates noted, and promised to make Congressman Gates's criminal case go away. So they were into it. It wasn't a sting operation. They were like, fuck yeah, here's $25 million. Yep. Get me a pardon. At the end of the phone call, Gates asked the FBI agents to call his dad. <laughs> Sorry. I know. Contact between the Gateses and Alfred ceased without a deal. And on March 25th, one week after meeting with Alfred, Don Gates was in the FBI's Fort Walton Beach office with his attorney and two special agents. A record of that meeting shows the agents spun through a PowerPoint assisted strategy session designed to restart the Levinson negotiations and sting the alleged perpetrators. So they found out about the Levinson operation, called up the Gateses and said, help us catch these guys. In that meeting, Don Gates mentioned the investigation into his son. He told the pair of agents that he had heard third hand sure. that a former Justice Department attorney tied to the Levinson plan had brought up the investigation in a conversation. When agents inquired further, Don Gates's attorney intervened and referred them to Matt Gates's lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't talk about what your fucking son did, please. We're the FBI. Matt Gates, whose campaign paid $5,000 to Trump whisperer and notorious deep state antagonist Roger Stone for strategic consulting the day before his father's meeting with the FBI, would days later invoke that former DOJ attorney as a deep state bogeyman in his Carlson appearance. Nice. The next day on March 26, Don Gates surreptitiously taped an in-person conversation with Alfred's lawyer, the former DOJ attorney mentioned above. He later recorded another conversation with Alfred himself, where Alfred promised a presidential pardon for his kid. And then, according to the records, around 2.30 p.m. on March 30th, Don Gates met a special agent at a Publix grocery store in Niceville, Florida, to receive a recording device for a follow-up conversation with Alfred the next day. Hours later, the New York Times disclosed the sex trafficking investigation. That evening, around 7.45, according to the FBI report, two special agents rang the bell at Gates' family residence. They had come for their recording device. The sting was off, but the records don't explain why, and they don't mention the Times story. After Don Gates handed them the recording device, the agents asked if they could take photos of his text messages with Alfred, according to FBI records. Don Gates voluntarily handed over his phone, and as an agent snapped one photo of a text, Matt Gates appeared outside from another area of the home and yelled, <laughs> he has a lawyer, multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> also what innocent people do. Totally. The agent handed the phone back to Don Gates and they arranged to get in touch with his attorney. As the agents walked back to their vehicle, according to the document, Gates yelled, do you have a warrant to be here? And asked his father if they took anything from him. The agents did not respond. Don Gates answered his son, no, son, they only took the recording device that they gave us. Remember? Remember? They gave <laughs> us for that sting. They wanted that back. We didn't get to keep it. Minutes later, Matt Gates was on national television delivering a broadside against the men he still alleges extorted his family, while at the same time describing a series of events that FBI records show is complete bullshit. According to previous news reports, the DOJ, led by Trump-appointed Attorney General Bill Barr, launched this investigation in the final months of the Trump administration, but the FBI documents more narrowly ascribe the start of the probe to the summer of 2020. Good Lord, Matt Gates is a mess. So is that entire damn family. Yeah. All right. AG, last story in this segment on January 6, 2021, around the time that thousands of Donald Trump supporters swarmed the U.S. Capitol, a top Trump appointee at the U.S. Department met with two activists who had been key to spreading the false narrative that the presidential election had been stolen. Now, the meeting came as Trump's allies were pressing theories that election machines had been hacked by foreign powers and were angling for the former guy to employ the vast powers of national security establishment to seize voting machines or even rerun the election. None of that was going to happen. Mm. Now, Robert Destro, he's a law professor at Catholic University of America and then serving as an assistant secretary of state. He confirmed to The Washington Post he met with two men, Colorado podcaster Joe Altman and Michigan lawyer Matthew DiPerno. And this was in the midst of the very tumultuous day. So the two men had previously claimed to have huddled on January 6th with State Department leaders who Altman said were sympathetic to the claims that a coup was underway to steal the presidency from Donald. Now, they have not identified with whom they met. Destro's acknowledgement is the first independent confirmation that they successfully gained the high-level audience. It's unclear whether the meeting led to any action at all. Now, Altman and DiPerno, they played important behind-the-scene roles in crafting the baseless allegations that the election was stolen from Trump. And that's from a review of emails and public statements from the Trump allies. That's what that showed. Now, the State Department meeting provides new evidence of the success that activists spreading false claims about the election had in gaining access to top administration officials. 
I mean, Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows was in close contact with activists pushing false fraud narratives, as were high-level officials at the Justice Department and the Department of Homeland Security. Now, in response to questions from The Post, Destro confirmed an email that he met with Altman and DiPerno, now the Republican nominee for attorney general in Michigan, by the way. But Destro, he declined to answer other questions, including what was discussed that day, whether other officials took part and whether anyone took action as a result of that discussion. Now, Virginia Bennett, and uh, Virginia's a former career foreign service officer who was Destro's predecessor as acting assistant secretary at the start of the Trump administration. What she said, she said the job generally involves meeting with foreigners as well as American activists involved in human rights advocacy overseas. But she said it would be atypical for the assistant secretary to hold meetings about U.S. elections. And this is a quote. I can't understand why anyone who was examining U.S. election practices and who was not foreign would have had a meeting at the State Department, she said. She went on to say the Department of State has no authority from statute or other mandate over U.S. elections, period. End of sentence. And then she said, I don't understand how anybody could have thought that was a good idea. (laughs) I know how. (laughs) Oh, my God. Thinking is the key word. Nobody. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. And that that person's running for office is also a problem. Yes, indeed. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll be back with the author of Allow Me to Retort, which is the current MSW book club book. And that first episode is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. So up next, we'll be talking about a piece that Ellie Mistal penned for The Nation in which he describes test cases we can file post row. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. You know, it's amazing how much your life improves once you start to get a good night's sleep. And if you know me, you know, I used to have big issues with insomnia. I had a hard time falling asleep and staying asleep, and I was sore every morning, and it really impacted my ability to be productive. For years, I assumed it was anxiety and stress, but as it turns out, the real problem was I'd been sleeping on a mattress designed for someone else. And that's when I found out about Helix Sleep, and let me tell you, it was a lifesaver. I went to their website, took their two-minute quiz, which matches you with the perfect mattress based on your body type and sleep preferences. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper, and I enjoy a medium for a mattress, but Helix knows all of us are unique, so they have mattresses for everyone. Temperature-controlled mattresses if you sweat at night, plus-size mattresses for plus-size sleepers, and selections ranging from soft, medium, and firm so you can have the best sleep of your life. So if you're looking for a mattress, you go to the website, you take their two-minute online sleep quiz, and they'll match you to your perfect mattress right to your door. They'll ship it for free. And they have a 10-year warranty. You get to try it for 100 sleeps risk-free. They'll even come pick it up for free if you don't love it, but you will. And Helix also has finance options and payment plans. So go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and be ready for the best night's sleep you've ever had. Helix is wonderful, but you don't have to take my word for it. They have over a billion hours slept on Helix mattresses and more than 12,000 five-star reviews. People love sleeping on them as much as I do, and Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's Helix Sleep, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash daily beans for up to $200 off and two free pillows. And you've heard me brag about my Helix Sleep mattress, but now I want you to hear me brag about my all-form furniture. Helix just launched the new company, All-Form. They make premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. They make it so easy to customize a sofa using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores and a fraction of the time. 
There's a variety of spill stain and scratch resistant fabrics. You can pick the sofa color, the leg finish, the sofa size and shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your family or, you know, you and your kitties. I chose a three-seater sofa in whiskey-colored leather with walnut legs, and it took me less than 15 minutes to set it up, and I love how comfortable it is and how great it looks in my living room. The cats love it, and because of the spill-stain scratch-resistant fabric, they don't mess it up. Uh, They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional, so there's something for absolutely everyone. You can always start small and buy more seats to add on as your life changes, and uh, you need your sofa to fit the next time you move, and all-form sofas get there fast three to seven days in the mail and you can assemble it yourself in just a few minutes no tools required in the past it used to take weeks or months to get a sofa from a custom store and no longer all form offers fast free shipping and if it sounds risky buying a sofa without trying it out in the store don't worry you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it Uh, that's more than three months and if you don't love it they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund so there's no risk you can try it out in your home they also have a forever warranty literally forever and you can't get a better warranty than that. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is currently offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Please welcome justice correspondent for The Nation, MSNBC legal contributor and author of the instant New York Times bestseller, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution, Ellie Mistal. Ellie, hi. Hi, how are you? I am doing, you know, under the circumstances, I woke up today. So there's that, you know, at least you're not a sea turtle. Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Or a liquid chicken or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I'm so excited to talk to you today. You had uh, reached out about part of a piece that you wrote for the nation. And I want to go over that with you because I had told my story about had Roe not existed when I was in the military, I probably wouldn't be here today. Mm -hmm. And you put a piece out in the nation about three test cases. It's called Three Test Cases Progressive Should Bring in a Post-Roe World on how, if that had happened to me, which it will now happen to other people, what sort of lawsuits can be brought? What can we do? And I believe your, your lead here is it's time to take a page from the conservative playbook and bring a torrent of lawsuits against every state that passes a forced birth mandate. So first, can you explain what happens when Roe is overturned this summer? Yeah. So what's what's going to happen uh, is quite simply, each of the states will then get to make its own determination about whether abortion is legal, when it is legal up to, and the circumstances under which a, a, a pregnant person can get an abortion. And that sounds, I think, to some people like a compromise. Oh, we should let the states decide and whatever. And I would just like to point out that you don't compromise on fundamental human rights. All right. Yeah. Do we have some sort of history in this country about states rights and allowing states to do things? States rights is, you know, a bad argument that has been used to do great evil in this country before. And so using it again doesn't sanitize it in some way. Right. So, like, (laughs) if you're in a situation where you're not a full human, depending on which side of an arbitrary line you happen to get impregnated on, you happen to get assaulted on. That should not be. And so this idea that we're going to take a fundamental right and let Texas and Florida and New York and California have different laws about it is like fundamentally stupid and quite frankly, fundamentally offensive to the concept of human rights. But that's what's going to happen. And already we live in a world where you're at, while your right to an abortion is arguably guaranteed by the soon-to-be-overturned 
Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, your access to abortion is already highly restricted depending on what state you live in and depending on how much money you have to put towards the project, whether or not you can even uh, uh, get access to this constitutional right. So we already live in a, in a world, in a dystopia, where access to your own body kind of depends on what state you're living in. They're just going to make that kind of more formalized um, once Roe is, is officially overturned. Yeah. And me, when I was in the military, we'll talk about uh, the Eighth Amendment here in a second. But when I was in the military, first of all, I'm super white, super privileged. And if if something happens to me now and if I were able to get pregnant, I could travel. I have the means to travel. But when I was in the military, I did not have I wasn't afforded the ability to travel or get leave from my military base. But this isn't just about people like me and or people in the military who are unable to travel. There are just people by reasons of 200 plus years of white supremacy in this country who are unable to travel to have access to this this health care. So it's it's you know, it's we all have our own niches about what we can and can't do. But everyone seems to forget about other people. Say nothing of just, you know, just the economics of it all. Traveling is not cheap. Traveling across state lines is is not cheap. Um, traveling away from your potentially wage earning job. Um, as we, one of the things we know is that many women, I think it's most women actually, who seek abortion services already have children. So getting time off in your job, potentially getting uh, child care for your children to go to another state to wait for a long time for, let's not forget a medical procedure, right? You can't just walk in and then hop back on the Greyhound and go home. So you're, you're talking about the, the need to put forward some serious cash in order to get this done if you cannot do it locally. Um, and that's just beyond the beyond the means of lots of people in this country. And of course, the bad guys know that. Yeah. Like, of course, the, the people who are in favor of overturning abortions understand that their privileged white mistresses will be able to go where they need to go to take care of themselves right like they they understand that there will be ways you know the suburban white woman who's gonna vote for trump twice in a row she understands that she if she needs one or if her daughter needs one there's gonna be a way to go and find and 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 figure that that out right it's they understand that the the people who will who are being most constrained here are poor women who are going to be disproportionately minority of course but but fundamentally are, are women who don't have access and don't have funding to to go get that done they understand exactly who they're hurting oh, yeah. when they support these laws yeah they ripped that page right out of the voter suppression handbook for the republicans yep. all right so let's talk about the first test case forced birth violates religious liberty yeah. talk about that i just want to say right up top because I, I don't want to give anybody false hope these are lawsuits that i think should be brought i think that we should choke the system with lawsuits i say we're gonna win because <laughs> because Republicans have controlled the court system, both at the the state level, the local federal level and the national federal level. Republicans control the court system up and down that system. So when I'm talking about bringing lawsuits, either locally or or, or federally, like I'm talking about losing, like people are going to have to understand that there is going to be a lot more losing in the future. I say that we should do it anyway, not just for mere performative, like it makes me feel good, Not, not just for that, although. There is some performance benefit to it. I say that because according to Republicans' own logic, the reason why, according to Republicans, that it is okay to throw out 50 years 
of settled precedent about abortion is because, well, people kept suing. So clearly it was never accepted because there were always lawsuits. So if that's their that's their uh, logic, right? So according to Republicans, the way that we lodge our continued dissent and disrespect for their forced birth laws is to sue them constantly. That's actually what the Republicans say we have to do to make sure that future generations know that we did not accept these laws. So according to, again, the Republicans on logic, you got to sue. And while, so that's number one. Number two, continually putting the, the Republican jurists on question, you know, up to the question of just how dystopian they want to be has its own value because it continually refocuses the country on who the bad people are and what they're doing and why it's important for Democrats to take the court seriously, something that Republicans have done for a generation because of this very issue that Democrats have not. So like that's another just reminding people of why the courts are important, huge part of this lawsuit strategy. And while we're generally going to lose, you never know. Somebody, you know, Look, the, the anti-abortion people, they they brought lawsuits that they didn't think were going to win all the time. And eventually some of them won. So you never. So sometimes you never know. Um, so that as a preface, I don't want to give people false hope. These are not lawsuits that Republicans will Republican judges will agree with, but they should be brought anyway. And yes, the first one is one on religious freedom. People need to understand. And I and I don't mean to be rude to spiritual people when I say this. Trust me, when I mean to be rude, you'll know. but the concept that life begins at conception is a particularly christian concept and a particularly christian fundamentalist concept not everybody believes that and the thing about forced birth is that if you don't believe that there's no other good legal reason to prevent women from controlling their own bodies you actually have to have that fundamentalist Christian belief of when life starts to even make any of this make sense. All right. Mm -hmm. So the first lawsuit should be about somebody who doesn't believe that Mm -hmm. who just straight up, you know, there, there, there are lots of talks about which religions don't believe that, you know, lots of look, I'm not a spiritual person. I did not go to seminary. It is not my place. My whole thing is to not um, impose religious views on other people right so like but there are certainly people believers of other faiths um the jewish faith gets brought out a lot when you talk about when you talk to uh, jewish people at least in my neck of the woods in new york and online that you know the jewish concept of of abortion is complicated but it does not rest on this idea that life begins at conception so a woman who is prevented from getting an abortion in texas in florida in idaho in oklahoma and one of these states seems to me to have a pretty good religious freedom argument to make. Right. What's good for the gay cake is good for the abortion. Right. Like that, that that's a and remember the Republicans, the current Republicans love religious freedom arguments. They actually think that religious freedom is so important to Republicans that it justifies secular bigotry. Mm-hmm. That is what they will say, that it is OK to be bigoted against gay people trying to get married if you have a deeply held religious belief. Well, what if you're a woman, you have a deeply held religious belief that Life does not start till birth. And so you want to have access to medical care. That seems to me to be a valid religious objection. Right. Um, And so that should be the first lawsuit. Again, that lawsuit should happen in every state that does this. Yeah, absolutely. Second potential lawsuit that could be brought is uh, Eighth Amendment. It's what applies to my story. And that's that birth mandates are considered 
would fall under cruel and unusual punishment for rape survivors. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I, I hate to, you know, uh, I'm very aware that I have, you know, I'm one, I'm one of the people who has a stunted Y chromosome, right? Like, the, like there, there, there's an aspect of here that I do not want to sound flippant or strident um, about in the worst situations. In a situation where a woman has been assaulted and impregnated, attached to that assault, and she wants to end, terminate that pregnancy, and the state prevents her from terminating that pregnancy, not just because, oh, it's a state law and whatever, because they physically restrict her, her movement, which is what happens when you are raped in prison. And then are forced to bring the pregnancy to term. It's what happens when you, as, as you were saying, when you're in the military and you're sexually assaulted in the military, but you can't leave your base. You can't leave your post without this other agents of the state, other agents of the military giving you leave. Um, when the state both uh, when you've been assaulted and the state restricts your movement, what is that? And as I read the constitutional ban on cruel and unusual punishment, certainly there is no crime that that you can be convicted of where carrying a pregnancy to term against your will is an appropriate punishment for that crime. That's just that's just not something you, know, you, so you, you can imagine. I mean, I'm not making this up. You can imagine, you know, being convicted of, of a drug charge, of a drug offense, right? Getting raped or getting impregnated or even voluntarily getting impregnated, but being incarcerated in a state that doesn't allow abortions and then not being able to leave as this pregnancy is growing inside of you against your will that's just that is barbaric that is madness that cannot be done by a legitimate society you must give this person their choice about what is going on inside their body especially when that happened against their will in the first place and to not give them that choice is to my mind Cruel and unusual punishment. I also like to just for the legal nerds out there, throw back um, one of Neil Gorsuch's, you know, conservative um, jurist uh, words back at them in a 2019 death penalty case. Neil Gorsuch made up a new standard for the Eighth Amendment because one of the things that originalists do is that whenever the law disagrees with them, they just make something up. So Neil Gorsuch made up a whole new standard for the Eighth Amendment that said that the way that uh, to understand cruel and unusual punishment is when pain or disgrace or terror is super added on top of the regular punishment. And again, I cannot think of any kind of pain, any better definition of pain, disgrace, or terror super added to a prison sentence than being forced to carry a pregnancy to term against your will. Yeah, especially if the survivor of sexual assault. Right. Finally, forced labor is already unconstitutional. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. We had a war about this, right? Like we, like I remember, like there's like there's a woman in like Atlanta. She was like never gonna go hungry again, and then Sherman came through. It was a whole war. So there was a movie about it, right? And we decided, I thought forever, that involuntary servitude was going to be illegal in these United States. That you couldn't, no matter the state interest, no matter how compelling the state really needed you to pick cotton the entire economy is based on it you have to no you can't force people to work against their will for free you cannot do it except as punishment of a crime which we just discussed mm -hmm. right so 
So the idea that the, the state, no matter how compelling it thinks its interest is in the unborn fetus, no matter how it's, it's unreasonable to think that the state can then compel, can force, can essentially rent out a woman's insides to do this labor on behalf of the state against her will for free. It's just not a thing. It's not, it's not, again, one of the ways that we have to flip our conversation about this is that for way too long, the left has ceded the language battle to the right, right? Right wing is not pro-life. We know that from their stance on the death penalty. We know that from their stance on what happens to a baby the minute it's out of the womb. Mm-hmm. Where they don't seem to care if it has if it has baby formula if it's the wrong color, and certainly don't seem to care if it has access to health care or education or anything else. Right? So we know they're not actually pro-life. We've ceded that language to the to the right wing. I don't know why. Forced birth is what we're talking about. We're talking about mandating people to carry pregnancies to term against their will, at the end of which it's going to be one of the most painful things I've ever heard about. And again, I've got a Y chromosome, so this is not my, this is not something I have to kind of worry about. But, you know, I've had two children, and from what I've heard, it's painful. <laughs> well, we call it labor for, for a reason, right? So, like, the idea that you can force it, to me, it's a miracle that anyone wants to do it voluntarily. Like it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's a miracle. I mean, there are women who have one kid and then sign up for another. That's a miracle. That's amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the miracle is that anybody wants to do it willingly. The the idea that somebody can be forced to unwillingly, that's just barbaric. And so from my from where I sit, the 13th Amendment already prohibits that kind of bar- barbaric idea, that kind of, the idea that you can force people to to work for the state, for the state's compelling interest against their will for free. That's just that's just not something that we do. Yeah. And uh, it's it's actually terrifying to think about when you talk about that terror super ad. That's yeah, I'm, that's what goes on in my mind. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, especially considering whose baby it is. Right. Not just mine. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Tell us about this. Everybody check out this piece in the nation. It's called Three Test Cases Progressives Should Bring in a Post Row World. Follow Ellie on on Twitter. And good news, Ellie's best-selling book, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution, will be our next book series on the MSW Book Club. The first episode is already out, so please listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much, Ellie, for joining us today. Woo! Everybody stick around. We'll be right back for the good news. Hey, everyone. One of the best ways I've found to deal with stress these days is to make sure I prioritize setting aside time for self-care. If we don't take care of ourselves, it's almost impossible to take care of anything or anyone else. And that's why I started using Osea. Osea has been making clean and effective skincare products for over 25 years. They have award-winning cleansers, serums, and face moisturizers. And they're known for creating incredible body products like their famous body oil. Since 1996, Osea has been creating cruelty-free products that are clean, vegan, and safe for your skin and the planet. And they have done it yet again. Osea's new body butter is nourishing, softening, and has amazing citrus scent. Plus, it's been clinically proven to moisturize skin for up to 72 hours. I personally had the chance to try it. I love it so much. It's my new favorite body butter. It's got a rich texture that feels good and applies smoothly without being sticky. It makes my skin look moisturized and healthy. A little really does go a long way, so it lasts. My skin feels hydrated, silky soft, and it's going to be amazing for legs and feet in the summer months. I use it as part of my daily routine. Spend some time with myself. It's meditative. It's the perfect addition to my body care lineup. We all want that amazing glowing skin. 
So find your new skincare and body care favorites at oseamalibu.com and get a special discount just for listeners. You get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $50 get free shipping. You are going to want it all. So go to O-S-E-A, oseamalibu.com. Use code DAILYBEANS at checkout. Hi, everybody. It's AG from The Daily Beans. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast. Hi, it's Frangela from The Final Word and Idiot of the Week podcast. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast. Hi, it's Mariah and Steve from, from How, How We, we Win. Win. And we are joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in key battleground states. Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We We organize. Yes, we do. Together, we can protect and expand our Democratic majority this November. We are so close to a Sina mansion-proof majority in the Senate. Take them out. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us the most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect voting rights, civil rights, abortion rights, the environment, constitutional gender equality, the government, our institutions, all the things. Do it. We beat Trumpism before, and together we will make history again. So go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win to donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This This is How We Win. Everyone, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, whatever you need to send into us, pod pet picks, whoopee stories. I, I miss the whoopee stories. I want more. For sure. Anything you want to send into us, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And uh, Dana, why don't you kick us off today? I would love to. This one's from Judy, pronoun she and her. Dear ladies, I think a trigger warning is needed. Last week, you played an intro to the good news block that featured animal noises. My cats were in the room and the podcast was playing on the speaker. They heard the intro and freaked the fuck out. (laughs) One one of them ran all over the room looking for the potential feline intruders. They recovered quickly, but next time maybe I should put on headphones. For my pet tax, attached are pictures of my cats in more relaxed modes. Dash is the younger one, named for Dash from The Incredibles because of his mask. Awesome. He's on a diet. It's not working. Tuck is my old man, 17 plus years and hanging in. He's aptly named because like to tuck himself into cat-sized places. The question is, did Dash lure Tuck into the slow cooker? (laughs) Thank you all for everything you do. I've been listening since the early days of Molly, she wrote, and I appreciate your knowledgeable explanations, your measured perspectives, and of course, your senses of humor. Your take on things is often what allows me to sleep at night. Okay. All right. This dude. Yep. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Look at the belly. Oh, that doesn't look like a very old cat. That's amazing. I know it really is. And beautiful. I love tuxedos. They're so they're such clowns. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for saying that. Oh, look, up next, a whoopee story. Ta-da. Asking you shall receive, my friend. Indeed, indeed. Can I get a Matt Gates indictment? Yeah, I'll work on that. Thank you. All right. From Angie Pronoun, she and her greetings. I've been a fan since the kitchen table days. Your celebration of Whoobies has provided some very bright moments of connection. While sorting through my mom's possessions after her death, I unearthed a trove of Whoobies. The blanket in which I came home from the hospital was used for security to pretend I had long hair, to play a nun in a habit, to serve as a mermaid's tail, and to be a tablecloth when we played house. The brown threadbare bear was my mom's before he was mine, so he's pushing 80. Then came Tinkle Bear, who had a bell in his ear and took several dips in the toilet. Okay, good name. Next came Snuggles, not pictured, who only I just realized was a stuffed dog and not a bear. (laughs) Gordon Lightfoot served from 1983 to present as a confidant during high school and adulthood. Gordon Lightfoot. When I opened the box they were in, the familiar smells and the way they felt pressed against my face unlocked all the memories. My brother came into the room and asked what I was doing, and I looked up, tears streaming down my face. I'm huffing my whoobies. Oh, my God. Hilarious. And we have an episode title. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Huffing. I'm writing it down. Huffing my whoobies. It's become a turn of phrase we use now when we need help coping with stuff. Life is hard, but whoobies are soft. Oh, Oh, man. These are some loved bears and a lamb. Oh, look at these babies. Oh, my God. I love all of them. Oh my God, there's a very angry kitty. This is from <laughs> this is from Remy, pronouns he and him. I just wanted to share this picture of a cat frowning because their human gave them a salad. I can understand why the cat frowned because I can never envision a cat liking a salad. I understand that dogs cannot frown, but it seems that cats sure can. And the photo attribution to at TG22110 on Twitter. And this cat Whoa. is definitely pissed about the salad. <laughs> I love TG's Twitter. That's fantastic. I think there might be a little Photoshop magic here, but yeah, that's an angry cat. All right. Finally, we have a submission from Gigi, pronoun she and her. Dear they of all the things, leguminical. I like it. Yeah. Look, y'all, I'm a 61-ish, ex-Catholic, excommunicated Mormon, current spouse of an ordained minister. Okay, okay. She's a big old lezzy bean. (laughs) And Midwesterner. Well, this is really hard for me to say. Fuck. Nope, not hard at all, it seems. And for transparency, my son, formerly of the U.S. Navy, used to brag that I swore like a sailor's mother. So yes, fuck. I only wish I'd been part of the Leguminati since the kitchen table days. I found Muller She Wrote on Twitter a couple years ago, but had not taken time to listen to any podcasts until 2020. Wonderful, this still isn't over. (laughs) And the Daily Beans was my first time. I know you will believe me when I tell you, Dana and Allison, that you have helped me scream and yell without any longer believing it was only into the void. So thank you both from the bottom of this old-ish, as I have stayed previously, heart for understanding the gut-wrenching anguish of watching the dominoes of our rights as women, as queer, as human, tumble one by one faster and faster, starting with the night in the fall of 2016. Not when the Cubs won the World Series. That was awesome. (laughs) The night that threw my PTSD into overdrive and broke my heart. You see, I knew they were coming for Roe, and it was so obvious that that was the plan. I knew Orange Buffoonius didn't learn his lesson, other than he could get away with everything. 
I knew it wouldn't end there. So as hard as it is to hear the news each day, hearing it from people who can explain it, who are so full of compassion and so willing to be vulnerable so we feel that we can as well, just thanks. My wife and I have been together for 21 years. We were both in our early 40s, and other than two sons, all of our six between-us kids were grown. Now, two decades later, we're estranged from two because of evangelical bullshit, one because of Q, and in the process, their families with a combined total of 11 grandchildren. Yes, the ones still in our lives are precious, and so are the ones who aren't. I'm a disabled retired nurse. PTSD, bipolar disorder, ADHD became too much several years ago. I learned to do video editing, amateur camera work, lights, and how to use a steam vac around 12 years ago when my wife, in seminary at the time, and I started an online faith community that was sponsored by an open and affirming UCC church congregation in Southern Illinois. After she semi-retired and we relocated, I began making lyrics videos for progressive Christian musicians. Yep, super niche and kind of nice. My website is openroadsvideo.com. If anyone checks it out, do me a favor and check out the recommended links. Yes, the world is full of Christian music and musicians who work for and believe in a just fair world. For pet tax, I present my precious Ziggy. She was found by our complex management one February, frozen and starving. The manager told us if, if we would take her in, they would waive the pet deposit. Suckers. The moment she and I locked eyes, it was love. While fairly healthy for a cat who'd been starved to less than three pounds, she did test positive for FIV. The vet told us we would be lucky to have her for two years, and we were actually were her staff. We were her staff for four. I don't have a pic of her waking me up at four in the morning by shutting off my CPAP, but I do have <laughs> these two of her getting as close to dressed for Halloween as I can ever get her. Pre-2016, I worked for Peace. Now I keep peace in my social media handles to remind me to work for justice because getting along usually means most are being quiet. So the few will let them just live, even knowing that we all equally belong in the sunlight. Mm. So beautiful. Look at this baby. So, I so love beautiful. That. Do they make that hat in my size? I, I bet they could. I bet someone could make it for you in your size. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for that submission, Gigi. And thanks to everyone for sending your stuff in. Remy, Angie, and uh, of course, Judy. We appreciate your submissions. If you have anything you want to send in to us, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we uh, close uh, the do. chapter on this incredible news day? I actually do. Um, my final thoughts are to honor someone we lost. And I'm sorry if I get teary. Irvishi Vayed, and a lot of people will know Irvishi, um, as a trailblazer for the LGBTQ community. And if you're not familiar with her, I implore you to look her up, listen to her speeches. She literally would go to the Republican National Convention and show up and speak to reporters about what they were doing wrong there. And her speeches are powerful. And she spoke on the March in Washington. And she was also married to my dear friend, Kate Clinton, which is why I get teary because I know Kate and the rest of the world are hurting right now, but they they were together since 1998. Uh, and so to honor her, please, please look her up. And as an extension of Irvishi, um, some of you may be familiar with her nephew, I believe, Alok, A-L-O-K, who's one of the most incredible poets and wordsmiths that I've ever heard. And they 
are tremendous non-binary humans. So I just want to honor Irvishi's memory. Um, she changed this landscape for so many of us and led the way to so many rights that we have now. And she will be missed. She will be missed. Yes, let's, let's honor her voice. Thank you for that, Dana. Oh, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I just, it's, you know, I think about couples, you know, Gigi's been married for 21 years to her wife and these, these relationships. And I just, my heart hurts for Kate knowing that she lost her person um, from cancer or if she was fighting cancer. And I think it came back very strongly recently. And so this came on quickly, but it just hurts my heart. You know, we're an empathic bunch, the beans. And so I'm feeling it for the community for sure. Well, we we will have no problem with her memory and legacy living well beyond. Um, yeah, so. just, I mean, incredible speaker. Just look up some of yeah. her videos as I smile now, just thinking about them. I mean, it's powerful shit. So mm-hmm. I'm sure some of you are aware of her work and others of you are about to become quite aware of it. And it's, it'll, it's worth it. It's worth a deep dive. Awesome. Thank you for that. And thank you for letting me have that moment. No problem at all. Everybody, until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of your mental health, and take care of the planet. Also, vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.